HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit Corin.com. Today's program was brought to you by MTC Kitchen, mutual trading company's restaurant supply store. For more information, visit mtckitchen.com. Welcome to Japanese. I'm your host, Akiko Katayama, a food writer and a director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from our studio at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every deli in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, yuzakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I'll try to demystify it in this program with my cool guest. And my guest today is Jesse Falwitz, who is a former advertising executive and now the partner and co-founder of Mizu Shochu, a premium shochu brand from Japan. And today we'll talk about Jesse's drastic career change, what exactly shochu is, and his uh, delicious shochu, of course, and much more. Hello, Jesse. Welcome to Japanese. Hi. Thank you for having me. So um, you're from Miami and worked in brand design and strategy at a major advertising company. And as an ad executive, you spent a long time in Asia, right? Yeah. yeah. So how did it happen? Um, so I was working in New York immediately after college. Um, was working in brand design and brand strategy. Uh, and there was an opportunity for me to go out and work on a project in Taipei. Mm. Um, and uh, I quickly volunteered for it. Um, didn't even think twice. And a few months later, I was living and working in Taipei and absolutely fell in love with it. It was just mm. really special. Wow. So what was so special about it, being Asia? Um, yeah, so it was, I was in Asia for a very long time. Um, it was almost to the point where I didn't want to come back to New York because I was just really enjoying the culture there, the food, the lifestyle, um, just really learning and experiencing and mm. kind of tasting everything, going through life and enjoying everything. And... Um, it was um, just someplace that I really fell in love with. Because mm. I, I think some people are really into like, foreign experience. Mm. So maybe you're one of those uh, curious, adventurous so. persons. Yeah, I, um, I was fortunate to travel a good deal with my parents growing up. And I uh, actually took my first trip to 
uh, Asia when I was 13 years old. We spent some time in Japan. We spent some time in China. So wow. I had a little bit of exposure to it. So when the opportunity to go and work in Taipei for a few months came up, I was... It didn't seem as intimidating, maybe, uh, to me as it might for other people.、Mm, sounds like you were supposed to be there in the first place. Maybe.、Yeah. <laughs> right. So,、uh, which country did you live? You said a long time. So, so I started off in Taipei. I was there for a few months.、Uh, and then I wound up moving to Hong Kong, spending about a year there.、Mm. Um, and then、uh, spent, well, went back to Taipei,、uh, did about three years there.、Uh, and during that time, I was looking after.、Um, Several brands across Southeast Asia. So I was traveling a lot、uh, mm. in Southeast Asia and,、uh, and then eventually moved to Korea, spent about nine months there, and then finally、uh, Malaysia for two years before I decided to go off in a different direction and start the Shotu brand and move to Japan. Right. Well, the best、uh, food destinations, all yeah, of them. Yeah. <laughs> right.、Um, so, but you know, how, how did you end up、uh, being in Japan? So,、um, My best friend from college is Japanese.、Uh, he moved to the States when he was in high school,、uh, was living in Louisville, Kentucky, and、uh, then went to college in St. Louis. We went to the same place. And we met there, became very close friends.、Uh, and during the whole time、uh, that I was living in Asia, we were always、uh, traveling together. I would go visit Japan. He would come visit me sometimes wherever I was living. So we kind of had that friendship and had a lot of similar interests. And that's. During those trips to Japan is really when I discovered Shochu and、mm. got exposed to it. And, and that's how I wound up、um, kind of winding up in Japan and doing the whole Shochu business. Okay, so that was、uh, early 2000?、So I, I first moved to Taiwan in 2004,、uh, middle of 2004. So it was pretty much from 2004、uh, to 2010, was working、uh, with the、uh, brand consulting company.、Mm. And then in 2000, end of 2009、uh, was when we had the idea originally to、oh. start the Shochu company. Okay, because I asked when, because that was a, almost a peak of a Shochu boom in Japan. Exactly.、Right? And, and that's really how I came to discover Shochu and learn about Shochu、mm. was during those trips to Tokyo,、uh, during the Shochu boom.、Uh, and really, you look around and you see everybody is drinking. It's not sake that people are drinking during those days. It was really just all shochu, especially、mm. younger people, our generation,、uh, friends, things like that. Right. Do you maybe can、uh, share your thoughts on why it became so popular? Sh- shochu was really the thing of、uh, you know, the time, right? Yeah, it was definitely. I mean, you saw it. You saw it, like we call it the shochu boom in Japan、uh, in the early 2000s.、Um, I mean, there were several reasons for it. It was really had a lot to do with.、Um, A lot of these distilleries down south in Kyushu making their products more premium, more、mm. craft, more artisanal,、um, also more limited, limited runs, so smaller batch, smaller production, more limited, more exclusive. And then there was also the health benefits as well that people,、mm. um, you know, the media spoke a lot about lower calories,、um, you know, prevents heart attacks, even stories about you know,、uh, old guys living longer and their secret to it was <laughs> you know, a glass of shochu a day. So there was a lot of kind of health related things that, that people were talking about、um, that also added to the,、um, the popularity, I think, the boom, so to say. Right. And also, I think.、Uh The continuing bad economy in Japan because shochu can be relatively cheaper compared to other, like sake wine. So、mm-hmm. I think the izakaya to, took advantage of it <laughs> too. Right? So, anyway, so,、um, so did you have any shochu moment? Like, oh, this is something special. I just think in general,、uh, during those、uh, you know, trips to Tokyo in the early 2000s,、uh, and they were pretty regular,、um, just sitting down at little izakayas and yakitori restaurants and, and、um, 
you know, seeing everybody around me drinking shochu on the rocks and kind of being curious, what is that? Because at the time, I had definitely become a big whiskey drinker. I mean, living in uh, um, East Asia, you know, brown spirits, things like whiskey and scotch, single malts, uh, all that is definitely the, the alcohol of choice. And, um, you know, drinking on the rocks and that kind of culture of, you know, that drinking culture, um, got me very curious as to what everybody else is drinking in Japan <laughs> on the rocks, because I really loved, I was, I was, I absolutely loved Japanese whiskey back then. I think way before, um, you know, you really saw it, you saw it starting to blow up here in the U S and, mm. uh, and other parts of the world as well. It was something that I think in Asia people knew about Japanese whiskey before it really became popular here in the U S. So we were drinking a lot of that and, uh, that got me very curious about what this whole shochu thing is obviously shochu being the predecessor or precursor to Japanese mm. whiskey. There's a lot of history, a lot of tradition there. Right. So, um, how do you compare whiskey and shochu? I th they are very, very different. Um, but, you know, I, I think of shochu as, uh, in the simplest terms, maybe somewhere between uh, a sake, a whiskey, and a vodka or something. I mean, it, there, there are little bits of, it's so many different types of shochu, so, much of, so, many so much variety uh, mm -hmm. in shochu that it's hard to pin down a particular taste profile or style. Um, to compare it to whiskey is a little bit difficult, but, mm -hmm. um, but it is something that I do enjoy sipping on the rocks. Uh, and I do think it has certain similarities in that sense. It's a, that it's a distilled spirit. Mm. Okay. So, uh, we're going to talk about actual, like what shochu is later, but, uh, so now how did you end up, uh, finding a shochu company? That's a big leap <laughs> in a way, right? Yeah. So essentially what it was is, uh, I think I had gotten a little bit tired, a little bit burnt out from what I've been doing. It was about 10 years doing brand strategy and brand design, mm. uh, a lot of packaging stuff. And, um, yeah, you at, uh, gray advertising, gray like advertising, a major yeah. successful mm -hmm. company. So, yep. and, um, was doing the same thing for a long time and felt like it was time to mm. go off and try something new, try something different. Um, it was actually on a beach in Malaysia. I was with uh, my best friend and uh, co-founder for the company as well. And we were just kind of talking about, you know, what we wanted to do next. We felt like there was something that needed to come next because we both felt like a little bit tired of doing the same old thing over and over. Mm. And, um, you know, I had said that I wanted to start a brand, start a company. Um, it was something that I had a passion to do for a long time. And I was really interested in doing something, um, you know, something Asian that was specifically Japanese um, that a lot of people around the world hadn't quite discovered yet. Mm. And I had had some experience uh, in the liquor business. And I thought that doing something in alcohol could be very good before I could even go any further. Um, uh, my business partner basically was, what about shochu? And the light bulb went off in my head. <laughs> and I think it was no more than 30 seconds later where I had made up my mind that this is something we had to do. I mean, I would imagine that this was going to be a conversation that we were going to have over the course of the weekend. Right. You know, what kind of ideas could we brainstorm? But we both <laughs> loved the idea so much that the it was almost, you know, conversation pretty much ended there. And then it was, okay, how do we start this? How do we do this? Wow. Um, it's a revelation. It was, very, it was a bit of a revelation. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, in fact, the, the company name is Nehan Spirit. So Nehan is uh, an old Japanese word for, like, nirvana, enlightenment. So mm -hmm. there was a little bit of that uh, idea going on, a little bit of a revelation. Uh, mm. And it was all quite, it all happened very quickly, very suddenly. Mm. Um, basically, um, 
handing in a resignation letter almost 10 days after we had the idea. <laughs> wow. And, um, and then moving to Japan just a few months later to get started on the business and Amazing. get into that. Right. Um, yeah, it was, that's one of those, those things. Like, you didn't know that you have such a complete idea or your readiness, and then something clicks and you realize you just jump off. You never realize how much you don't know until you start <laughs> on something. So, you know,、um, but it seemed as though having, having a day job and then trying to start, start something like this just wasn't going to work. So I felt like I had to either go in all the way or not go at all. So it really required me to just stop what I was doing,、mm. you know, leave the old, leave. Advertising and、uh, moved to Japan to start the Shochu company.、Mm, interesting. Because、uh, maybe you've been seeing a lot of、uh, brands to try to take off. So you just learn. You have to quit. You have to really devote yourself yeah, to it. Yeah, definitely. Right. But isn't it hard after like 10 years working for such a great established company? You know? It was, it was in hindsight, it was probably something.、Um, It was difficult, but at the time, though, really, it seemed like an obvious decision.、Mm. It seemed, you know, I spoke with my parents about it. Jeremy, my business partner, and I had discussed it quite a bit.、Um, and it just seemed like the thing to do.、Um, and, you know, you have to kind of, again, either you're all in or not. So、um, leaving what, the comfort zone of what I've been doing and what I had known and, you know, really enjoyed also for a very long time、um, didn't seem that crazy at the time. So、mm. it. it Glad I did it to be honest.、Right. So, again, you didn't know, but you're ready already in your mind.、Right. So, so, the, so, you said you moved to Japan.、Mm-hmm. So,、uh, I was living in Malaysia at the time,、um, packed up my bags,、uh, took everything, and just moved to Japan and got、wow. started on it. And、uh, <laughs> I know you asked a question before, you know, how did we start the whole business and stuff like that? So, I'll get to that and I'll、mm-hmm. get back to that. But, I mean, that was really it, just moving everything, picking up. My life moving to Japan、uh, and getting, getting started learning more about shochu because at the time、mm-hmm. I had experienced it a number of times. We had you know, tried it many, many times during my trips to Japan, but、um, by no means was I an expert at the time.、Uh, it, there was a lot to learn,、um, mm-hmm. but I knew that there were certain things about it that had really appealed to me kind of a rustic appeal,、mm-hmm. um, you know, it being from southern Japan, all the craftsmanship.、Uh, All the quality that goes into the making of shochu, the story even of you know, shochu being all about the ingredients as well, something that I understood very, very well、um, during you know, visiting Japan and even watching Japanese TV shows, especially Japanese cooking shows. It's never really, <laughs> it's never really about what's going on in the kitchen, it's really what, it's, but what happens before the food gets to、mm-hmm. the kitchen. So, visiting the farms and understanding how. You know, how everything is grown or raised and things like that. That's a great、uh, point. It's such an important part of. Japanese food culture. Right.、So. Like origin. The origin story,、right. yeah. Okay. So,、um, but did you speak Japanese when you got <laughs> there? No, definitely not.、Um, I, took, I took lessons,、uh, classes for like the first three weeks、uh, when I moved to Japan.、Uh, it was incredibly expensive at the time in Tokyo because <laughs> the dollar was. Uh, was uh, Pretty low at the time, and also just living in central Tokyo,、mm. language schools and things like that were an arm and a leg. So, figured it would just kind of slowly seep in, but、um, yeah, never quite as much as I would have liked to. <laughs> right. Well, so, having, having obviously a Japanese business partner who was helping me to develop, you know, work together to develop the brand,、uh, and then there were some other people that were involved early on to help, you know, to help this whole process along. Um, be it just sending emails or even visiting the distilleries and going out to shochu bars and tasting shochu,、mm. things like that. I was never 
except for a few occasions, completely by myself and stranded without uh, any way of communicating. Although, funny enough, the way we eventually found our distillery, uh, I was by myself in Kyushu mm. uh, and happened to met somebody who spoke perfect English. Who, okay. Right, but it's, it's really interesting that I've never seen anyone who founded a shochu company who's non-Japanese. Mm. So I'm sure Japanese people you met when you find finding a company, I think I have to support this guy, right? It's it's really. I think there were some. I mean, uh, there were definitely distilleries that we visited um, that might have been skeptical, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there were some people that were absolutely intrigued, like, who are these guys? You know, what are they doing here? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then there were some people that were very very excited and wanted to get involved and help and stuff like that. So there was kind of a spectrum of different reactions that we received mm. uh, in in doing this. Okay, so um, well, the uh, you know, like if I decide to open this soldier company, I have no idea what to do. So what kind of the steps that you took first? Um, it was definitely tough. Um, you know, first of all, living in Tokyo, uh, when the shochu industry is really based all the way in the south, uh, in the island of Kyushu. Mm. Um, so being in Tokyo, when all the action is happening in, to- in Kyushu, um, made things difficult from the get-go. So that was one obstacle that we had to overcome. But really, it all kind of started just going out to um, shochu bars, uh, tasting hundreds of shochu. I think there was something like 400 or 500 shochus that we tasted, wow. took notes on, um, you know, detailed tasting notes, getting an idea of what styles of shochu we liked personally, but also that we thought could be applicable outside of Japan as well. Because mm. um, obviously we wanted something that was f- like very truly authentic yet and, and appealed to a Japanese uh, shochu connoisseur, yet at the same time could appeal to a bartender in the United States mm. or a spirits lover here in the United States or even a first-time you know, first shochu drinker. So we had to find something that married uh, mm. the two, you know, the experienced shochu lover in Japan with the first-time shochu drinker outside mm. of Japan. Right. So you targeted uh, initially, though, the American market? I, I No. In fact... Um, we, when we did, so what we essentially did was uh, I would travel around because uh, I was still um, involved in some projects with my old company and also working with some designers outside of Japan, uh, some old coworkers of mine that helped uh, to develop the brand in general. And, um, you know, so I was traveling to Taipei, I was traveling to Kuala Lumpur, I was going back to home to Miami, I was going to New York. So what I would do is I would load up my suitcase with bottles of shochu <laughs> and uh, as much as I could legally uh, bring into whatever country and um, just was tasting people on it and doing blind taste testing what people like. So I wanted not just um, an American point of view, but also, again, uh, in Taipei and Malaysia, just trying to get a feeling for uh, across different cultures, different ethnicities, what flavors did people like, what styles did people like. So, mm. um, you know, we were kind of thinking a little bit broader than we didn't want to think of it as a shochu for the American market. It mm. was just certain styles of shochu seemed like they were more accessible and other ones seemed like they were more of an acquired taste. Those were kind of theories mm. on it. And then it was just a matter of seeing if those theories were true and kind of uh, testing it out. Right. Sounds like you did a really uh, strategic analysis like you at, uh, at agency. <laughs> well, I had a lot of time on my hands too. Right. Okay. <laughs> right. And then uh, you said uh, you found a partner the Japanese said yeah, so uh, oh so um, the Japanese distillery that was an interesting story so uh, while we were tasting all these shochus we started to eventually go down south to Kyushu visiting distilleries um, during that time 
um, yeah, I'd gotten a little bit frustrated because, you know, you never know how long these things are going to take. And uh, maybe I had assumed that things would move a little bit faster. Although in the end, you know, from the time that we, the, the time that I got to Japan, from the time that the first bottle arrived in the U.S. was three years, um, which I guess in, looking back at it is not that long of a period of time. Mm-hmm. But um, I guess I was growing a little bit impatient back then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so... During some of our visits to a few of the distilleries down there, um, I decided that I was going to stick around in Kyushu and travel by myself a little bit, um, just figuring, you know, even though I don't speak the language, maybe I'll stumble across something, some mm-hmm. good fortune will come my way, um, whatever. Because the meetings were going well with these other distilleries, but I hadn't really found anything yet, uh, taste-wise, distillery-wise, that I had really fallen in love with. So... Um, I also had, you know, I've always studied design. Uh, that was one of the things I studied in college and always had um, a little bit of a thing for Japanese arts and crafts. So mm. uh, I was traveling on my own during that time for a couple of weeks in Kyushu and I decided to take a little side trip. Uh, I was in Fukuoka at the time, decided to take a little side trip to uh, Karatsu and Arita to go check out some Japanese porcelain because mm. that's both of those towns plus Imari. Uh, the three of those towns are kind of the birthplace of Japanese uh, ceramics, right. especially Japanese porcelain coming from Arita. So uh, I took a little side trip there. Once I got to the train station in uh, Karatsu, I'm sitting down having lunch, uh, and a Japanese woman came and sat down next to me. And uh, this was shortly after the tsunami, 311, and um, she goes, you know, is your mother worried about you being here? Because at that point in time, so many foreigners had left Mm, Japan because of the concerns of the radiation. And uh, it was kind of a funny thing for somebody to say, you know, first thing. (laughs) But uh, I'll never never forget it. And um, we started chatting, and, you know, she asked me what I was doing in Japan. And, um, and, uh, you know, she was fascinated by the fact that I was doing the shochu thing. And... She spoke perfect English. She, uh, her husband is a doctor, and he had done some uh, a residency uh, in Texas. So mm-hmm. she had learned English very quickly uh, from her time in Texas, moved back to Japan. So whenever she saw a... Um, because people were so welcoming to her in Texas, mm-hmm. uh, where when she moved there, she wanted to kind of return the favor. So anytime she saw a foreigner kind of visiting her nice. small little town, she always wanted to kind of help. And um, so she offered to take me... Uh, to meet a friend of hers who owned a liquor store down the road, um, who and he knew a lot of distilleries in the area. So, um, total stranger, got in her car. We drove. <laughs> we drove about ten minutes to this uh, small liquor store that specialized in shochu and sake, and um, she started translating the whole story to him. And he was like, "Wow, this is really interesting." So he called up a few distilleries immediately um, wow. and uh, set up some appointments, which I was like, "This is absolutely amazing," <laughs> and because um, you never know, right? Um, um, and we were very picky about the type of shochu we were looking for, but again, you never know what's going to happen. So right. why not? The, the fortune really the came fortune, around, right? <laughs> exactly. And while we're sitting there um, in the liquor store, a sales rep comes in from another distillery, uh, overhears the whole story, and uh, tells us that he thinks that his president might be very interested because you know they're kind of a young distillery; they're very passionate. They think that they just thought that this could be interesting; that their president might might be interested. <clears throat> to uh, to meet with me, and uh, so they said, next time you're in Kyushu, come come visit us. And he gave me a little sample of shochu. Uh, I went back to my hotel room that night, tasted it, and I was like, mm, stuff's really good. <laughs> and so definitely made it a point to go visit them next time. Uh, and then the rest is history. Uh, there were several other distilleries that I really really did love, uh, and it was a very very hard decision. But in the end, it was that 
distillery, uh, being at that liquor store and the sales rep walking in, giving me that little sample, mm-hmm. um, that kind of opened my eyes to them. And then our next visit, we were just like, these guys are fantastic. And uh, all the shochus that they're making are really good. So funny enough, um, that woman, her name is Emiko. We're still very, very close friends. Every time I go to Kyushu, we always hang out. Um, we usually go for this favorite sushi restaurant of mine in Karatsu that, that I visit. But essentially, it was going out there looking for those shochu cups or um, kind of ceramic uh, porcelain bowls for a wedding present for my friend that mm. kind of luckily uh, introduced me to right. Minamasa. Oh, wow. Everything, all the luck unfolding. It was, it was, was yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> right. So, well, maybe you can tell us about this uh, company. I, I found it's a Munemasa Shuzo. Yeah, so Minamasa Shuzo, um, they're based in a small town up in the mountains uh, in Saga Prefecture. So Saga is located between uh, Fukuoka and Nagasaki. Uh, it's a little bit off the beaten path. Uh, a lot of farming going on there, um, and essentially one of the things that they're most famous for is the porcelain production. So Arita is the birthplace of Japanese porcelain, and actually this year is the 400-year anniversary mm. um, of Arita Yaki, uh, of the uh, the town of Arita as well. So um, they are a medium-sized distillery up in the mountains there. Um, the family, Munamasa, has been making sake. They started uh, in brewing uh, in the 1800s, uh, originally based out of Hiroshima. And um, they were making sake up until uh, World War II. Um, after World War II, the business had pretty much, they all survived, um, but the the business had really kind of gone south. Mm-hmm. And um, they had to leave that and go to work on other things. They started some other companies. Those were very successful. And then in 1985, or before 1985, but um, in 1985, they reopened the family uh, oh. business, going back into sake and shochu, but focusing more on shochu. The uh, the grandfather at the time moved the whole family to uh, Saga, because they mm-hmm. were still living in Hiroshima at the time. And um, they moved to Saga and started this distillery. Mm. Um, they're you know, they are a younger distillery in the sense that they uh, were founded in 1985. But again, the family had been working um, in the alcohol business in Japan since the 1800s. So mm. there's a lot of tradition there with them. Wow. So, but then did, did you just go and looked on the door and then the, hi, well, what again, you? Well, right, because because there was somewhat of an introduction made uh, during that uh that visit to the liquor shop, <laughs> they, they knew I was coming. So, um, you know, we, we kind of had a great first meeting, um, tasted a lot, you know, a lot of shochu, a lot of people don't realize, but your typical shochu distillery will make a number of brands, you know, anywhere between let's say 10, 15, maybe some as, as much as 20 brands. So we, when we visited them, we tasted their shochu. And, um, one of the things that we were looking for during, you know, during all those blind taste tests and, talking with a lot of bartenders uh, here in the U.S., both in New York and Miami, both Japanese bartenders, non-Japanese bartenders, Japanese restaurant owners, non-Japanese restaurant owners. One of the things that we felt was very important is to find uh, a distillery, a traditional distillery, that can make a really, really high-quality, high-alcohol or high-proof shochu. Mm. That that was something that was going to be very important for the consumption and the enjoyment of shochu outside of Japan. Mm. So what we call in Japan like genshu shochu or undiluted shochu or genshu style shochu um, was a very important thing. That, I mean, that's essentially what we were going for. Mm. Um, and a lot of distilleries, you know, these days are making shochu that's more around 25% alcohol. We were looking for something in the range of 35 to 40%. Mm. Um, 
And that's one of the things that they specialized in. So when we started tasting their higher prushochu, realizing the quality, the depth, the complexity, uh, and the smoothness of it, uh, we felt as though this this was where we wanted to be. Mm, okay. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> um, maybe it's the chemistry. But uh, how do you work with them? Like you do uh, sales and marketing and they produce? Yeah, such- so, so um, you know, they are, at the end of the day, the um, they are the producer. It's their, you know... The recipe of our shochu is, it, it follows, I mean, the signature flavors of their family shochu. I mean, it's not, uh, if you were to drink this and pour it into a glass and serve it to somebody in their town or in Saga Prefecture, um, it is something that is very similar to what people there like and enjoy mm-hmm. all the time. But essentially, they're the producers. They're the ones that are, manu- that are you know, distilling the shochu and making it, um, the relationship they have with the farmers, just controlling the whole production side of things. Mm. Uh, we, um, we are uh, responsible for looking after some of the packaging, so you know, production of the bottles and things like that, mm. labels. And, and then most importantly, um, the actual selling of the, of the shochu, marketing, promoting, uh, exporting and importing, uh, and then obviously distributing and uh, you know, mm. introducing it one by one to people uh, to get them fall in love with shochu. Right. Amazing. And that's all you've done by you, by, by yourself. So. <laughs> so, I mean, I go back I go back to Japan a couple times a year and we'll spend about a week and a half there, you know, just having a few meetings with the distillery, talking about how things are going, mm. uh, improvements that could be made, new products that we might want to develop uh, in collaboration together. But everything really at this point now is, is a full collaboration between... Um, ourselves and the Minamasa Shuso company. Mm, wow. Congratulations on finding such an amazing partner. I love them. They're great. Right. Okay. So uh, let's take a quick break here. And then when we come back, we'll talk about Jesse's delicious shochu. So please stay with us. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan-Asian to American. And that is why they're located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Corin's unique store in Lower Manhattan is home to perhaps the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan, plus the rarest natural sharpening stones and exquisitely designed tableware. They also host special events such as knife sharpening demonstrations and parties with New York's most famous chefs and restaurateurs. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the implicit and elegance of Japanese culture to your table, be it in your home or in the finest restaurant. For more information, visit Corin.com. Today's program was brought to you by MTC Kitchen. MTC Kitchen is run by New York Mutual Trading, a premier specialist for wholesale Japanese food and restaurant supplies since 1926. 
They are a one-stop shop for all your Japanese culinary needs. They have a range of quality Japanese knives, sharpening stones, kitchenware, tableware, and shelf-stable food, and are conveniently located in Midtown Manhattan near Grand Central Station. Although they specialize in wholesale distribution, this venue is open to the public, and they showcase artisan tableware that is only available at the showroom. For more information, visit mtckitchen.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Eats, broadcasting live from our studio at the studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Akiko Katayama, and my guest today is Jesse Falowitz, who is a former advertising executive, now the partner and co-founder of Mizu Shochu, a premium shochu distillery from Japan. Um, so, um, your shochu is called, uh, your shochu company is called Mizu Shochu, mm-hmm. and the brand is uh, Mizu no Mai. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So, what's so, the meaning of uh, Mizunomai? So, the the full name that we um, that we use in Japan, because we're also selling in Japan, where the full name is Mizunomai, um, but we wanted to kind of abbreviate that uh, for the American audience or for an overseas audience uh, and simplify that to Mizu. So, the kanji, the name behind it is Mizunomai or Mitsurunomai, mm-hmm. is the dance of the beautiful crane. Uh, mm-hmm. We came up with a name because essentially we were looking for a shochu that was very pure, very delicate, and the imagery of you know, the Japanese crane kind of came into mind, the tsuru. Mm. But at the same time, because we were looking for a higher alcohol shochu, something with a lot of you know, um, uh, liveliness, we felt as though that image of the dancing crane was something, or spinning crane, mm. was something that we could really kind of, um, something that kind of came to mind when we were thinking about the flavor and the taste profile mm. of the shochu that we wanted to create. So... Mizunomai, Mizu for short. Mm. A little bit tongue-in-cheek, obviously. But. <laughs> right, but the queens are a Japanese bird, a national bird, so yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. Right. So uh, when was the first year of uh, release? Uh, so we launched the brand in the summer of 2013, so it's been exactly three years since we launched the brand. Mm. Uh, we started off in New York, uh, and again, just the first 18 months was really just looking to build the brand and create some presence in New York. We had done a little bit in D.C., but the main focus was really uh, looking at New York City. Mm. Yeah, I read a couple wonderful art, uh, reviews. So um, so the before we talk about your shochu, um, uh, maybe our listeners should know about some stuff about shochu. Like, maybe you can give us a quick shochu one-on-one. Sure, absolutely. So, you know, there's a lot of different ways to describe shochu. It is um, a, a spirit that's been around for about 500 years, has a lot of tradition, has a lot of history. Um, but essentially, it is a distilled spirit, and it's single distilled. Single distillation is very interesting because when you distill something only one time, you capture a lot of the natural essence, the natural flavors of mm. the raw material. So a lot of most spirits from around the world are distilled two times or three times or four times. The more times you distill it, the less flavor you have. The, mm. the less time, the fewer times you distill it, especially if it's one time, you get a lot more of the natural essence, more of the earthy natural flavors. So that's a very important thing about shochu. It's really about preserving the natural essence of those raw materials. And that's what the distilleries or the master distillers, the toji, uh, that's what he's trying to do mm. uh, when making a shochu. So... The sourcing of the ingredients is a very, very, very important thing. I'll get back to that a little bit later. Mm. But another defining characteristic of shochu is also the koji microbe. Um, Koji is something that uh, helps in the fermentation uh, or is used in the process of making sake. It's used to make shochu, soy sauce, miso paste, quite a number of other uh, types of things. But um, what 
Koji essentially does is it breaks down starches into sugars. So when you're distilling something and fermenting something, you have to first break down starches. Uh, when you're fermenting, you have to first break down starch into sugars, and then you have yeast that breaks down sugars into alcohol. Mm. But koji is not only doing kind of the chemistry of what's happening inside of a mash when you're making when you're making a shochu, it's also adding a lot to the flavor profile and to the aromatics. So mm. what makes a shochu different from, let's say, any other spirit in the world is the the aroma and the flavors that come from the koji plus mm. the single distillation. Those are two very important things. Another thing that's very interesting about shochu as well um, is it has this amazing rustic charm. So when you talk about, um, you know, it comes from the southern part of Japan, its birthplace is in Kyushu, which is the southernmost uh, major island there. Um, and they've been making this stuff for 500 years. It really uh, is something that has a very str- has very strong agricultural roots, and the distillers often have very very close relationships uh, with the local farmers. These days, that that's harder you know that's harder to maintain because mm-hmm. there's so many distilleries, uh, and the land is you know space is limited. Um, so there are a lot of distilleries that source their ingredients from outside of Japan these days, or from other prefectures, other parts of Japan. But the idea of locally farmed ingredients is a very 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 important component mm-hmm. to making shochu. Because right, it's terroir. Exactly. Right. It's it's incredibly important. Um, then just kind of a simple overview of how shochu is made. You normally historically would start with the first mash, we say in Moromi in Japanese. Uh, your first mash is normally going to be koji rice. So it could either be uh, black koji rice or white koji rice. Um, there's black and white koji. That's a kind of a longer story. I won't get too much into that. Um, <laughs> But you have some choices there. And typically, again, you're going to take that microbe. It's almost like a mold. They sprinkle that on top of uh, polished steamed rice. Uh, And then you have a koji master that's going to, um, by hand, massage that in and turn turn the rice over Mm. again and again and again constantly uh, every few hours for about two days, uh, for 48 hours until the rice essentially um, is covered with the koji mold, uh, and then it's ready to go into the first mash. So in the first mash, you have that koji rice, uh, and you add water and yeast, and then that's going to ferment for anywhere between 5 to 10 days, typically. Mm -hmm. Normally, 5 to 7 is is the norm. Um, Then you have a second mash. So they're going to take that first mash, they're going to move that into a larger mash tank, and that's where they're going to add the primary ingredients. So normally the the rice uh, is going to be kind of a starter mash, and then you're going to add something else to it. Now, you could make a pure rice shochu. You could add more rice to that in the second mash, and then you have 100% rice-based shochu. Mm. But um, the two most popular types of shochu these days are going to be sweet potato or Mm. barley shochu. So you could either add uh, the sweet potato to the second mash. You could add barley to the second mash. There's also a lot of... There's actually 54 different varieties uh, of shochu out there. So there's quite a number of different ingredients... Mm. um, can be anything. I heard a carrot shochu. There's a lot. There's carrot shochu, green tea shochu, uh, tomato shochu, even a milk shochu. I, it's amazing how many different types are out there. Um, and uh, some of them are, are very hard to find. But I would say that your rice, barley, sweet potato, buckwheat, sugarcane mm. are going to be your most popular right. varieties. Um, after the fermentation, then you go into single distillation. That's mm. very important. In order for it to be authentic shochu uh, or honkaku shochu, it can only be distilled one time. Mm. Uh, after distillation, you cut off the heads and the tails. So you have the heart or the genshu of the spirit. That's then aged. Um, some distilleries will age it, typically on average, I would say, between six to nine months mm-hmm. for a good shochu. Uh, and then after it's aged, uh it will be cut with a little bit of water uh, and then bottled. So there's some other step. Some distilleries will do some other things along the way there, but that's the general idea mm. for how shochu is made. 
Okay. Different styles of aging as well, but. Right. Great. So let's go talk about your shochu. So one of them, it's a saga bali. And uh, that's one of the two of the most popular styles of Bali shochu, yeah. right? So maybe you can just uh, introduce uh, this one to... Uh, sure. So um, for Mizu Shochu, our Saga Barley, it's our original, uh, our original Shochu that we launched three years ago. Um, it is a 70, it's a higher proof Shochu, like I was saying before. It's 70 proof, uh, 35% alcohol. It's a classic style recipe, what we call an Iki style Shochu, which calls for a split mash of two thirds barley, one third black koji rice. And again, it's single distilled in a stainless steel pot still. Um, we then age it for a minimum of one year. We actually blend an old and a young. So the uh, current batch that's out in the market right now is a blend of a one year and a three year. Mm. Uh, a little bit older than that, but around one and a half to three and a half years uh, blended together. Um, and then we cut it with a little bit of water. Um, the water that we use comes from a place called Black Hair Mountain, which is very close to the distillery. It's a very soft water source. So a lot of the texture and the body, the softness that comes from the shochu uh, is attributed to the softness of the water. Mm. Um, very interesting in the in the sense that Minamasa, our distillery, uh, prides itself in that everything that goes in that everything that goes into our shochus and their shochus um, is 100% locally farmed. So all mm. the rice, all the barley that goes into that shochu is farmed within Saga Prefecture. Right. Which I think I don't know how many other distilleries do it because it's so hard. There's it's still so there's easy. still a lot. A lot of the craft distilleries still can still do that. A lot of the larger distilleries, uh, you know, that like are doing barley shochus, uh, might have to import some of their barley from Australia or from other countries. But mm. smaller to mid-sized distilleries, but especially because Saga is not a huge um, prefecture for producing shochu, um, there's only a handful of distilleries there. Um, so they do have access uh, to those farmers. And our master distiller actually grew up on a farm mm. uh, and grew up as a farmer. So he has those very close relationships with the local farmers right. at Saga Prefecture. Great. So how do you describe uh, the flavor of uh, Bali, Saga Bali? Um, the, it's interesting. Uh, there's a lot of tropical notes on the nose. That's coming from that unique black koji. Mm. A little bit of a uh, using black as opposed to white koji is a little bit of a tribute to an older style shochu. It's coming back in style these days, but it... it sort of is um, more unique or more rare uh, in modern shochus. In the old days, it used to be almost always black koji, but now it's kind of making a little bit of a comeback mm. uh, as we're seeing. So that black koji gives some interesting aromatics, a lot of tropical notes on the nose. You get some like banana bread notes, some cantaloupe, <laughs> um, something that you wouldn't exactly expect, but it is, people even compare it, uh, at least the aromas, to a sake. Wow. Then once you get it on the palate, once you taste it, very much like drinking a young whiskey, uh, even though it is a clear spirit, um, there are some uh, young whiskey, like or before you age a whiskey, before you put it in the barrel, there are some of those notes in there as well. Again, some uh, vanilla custard notes in there, uh, more of those kind of banana bread, bananas mm. fosters notes, and even a little bit of a toasted coconut on the finish. So very smooth, very easy to drink. That is sort of what we were aiming for with uh, the Minamasa Shuzo Company, right. is creating a very smooth, very pure shochu, but with a lot of depth and complexity. Mm. Yeah. I feel like I have to taste it right away. <laughs> so what about the lemongrass? It's uh, it's made uh, made from uh, organic lemongrass? Yeah, so that's that's actually very new. We just launched the product uh, a few weeks ago. Um, it's a rice-based shochu. 
and then they put fresh organic lemongrass. They, they, it's growing up in the mountains, very close to the distillery, in a little onsen town called Takeo. And the farmers that grow that are uh, very, very proud of the fact that everything is completely organic. They take the lemon, Our distillers take the lemongrass, the stalk and the leaf, and they put that into the mash three days before distillation. The rest of the process, single distilled, like a traditional style shochu and the aging, very similar to what I was saying before about the saga barley. Mm. Uh, but it's very unique in the sense that it is the first lemongrass shochu to be produced in Japan. Uh, that heard. comes from the fact that our, just, they love, our master distiller loves to be very kind of creative, innovative, push the envelope a little bit. Mm. So that's very, very important to him okay. uh, to be the first to create a lemongrass shochu like right. this. So how do you describe the flavor of this um, one? I think it's a little bit more straightforward. You do get uh, some of those sake-like notes because it is a rice-based shochu. Uh, and then you get some of those really nice, bright, citrusy notes um, on the nose, those herbaceous lemongrass notes as well. Mm. Um, and it has a little bit of a sweetness to it as well, which is really nice. Interesting. Okay, and uh, what's a suggestion of, uh, like, serving suggestion, like, on the rocks? For both of them, I love them on the rocks. That is the traditional way, one of the traditional ways of drinking shochu. Uh, you could add a splash of water to either of these. Uh, with the saga barley, because it is a little bit more of a traditional style shochu, mm. uh, you could drink it oyuwari, which is where you add... Um, you add it to hot water. Mm. Uh, that's a really, really nice way to drink it. But also uh, for cocktails as well, uh, what's very unique about both these shochus, because they're higher proof, and you don't see that many higher proof shochus outside the United States, they do uh, translate very well uh, into cocktail applications. So we're seeing a lot of bartenders all over New York City, Boston, D.C., mm. um, that are using our shochu in their craft cocktails. That's a really interesting thing that we're seeing now for the first time is bartenders uh, using shochu uh, in cocktails. Right. Like uh, you said earlier, usually it's uh, around 25%. Right. So it doesn't stand out. But Correct. in a cocktail, they say, I'm here. Exactly, yeah. Having, having a little bit more... Um, uh, higher alcohol, higher proof, uh, you know, plus also the fact that it is single distilled. There is a lot of uh, body and a lot of texture to the shochu. So it really mm. does hold up quite well uh, when translated to cocktails. Right. And then uh, this, the, another thing about this bottle, I see it in, middle, in front of me. It's like a beautiful, sleek design. But then there is a Mizunomai in the Japanese character. So what's the theme of this design? So the bottle itself, the, the shape of the bottle, uh, because the shochu comes from Arita and the town, the heritage of the town, uh, 400 years of artisanship, it's really all been about um, this uh, porcelain craftsman. Uh, that's really when you go to Arita, you, all you see is little smokestacks, chimneys from the from the kilns. So we wanted to kind of bring some of that into the brand. Uh, so the shape of the bottle is modeled a little bit after old porcelain shochu bottles, but a little bit, you know, a little bit thinner, a little bit streamlined, uh, a little bit more sleek, but that is sort of the inspiration for the bottle, those old porcelain shochu bottles. Um, and then the label is just kind of a, a little bit more of a modern expression uh, of a shochu bottle. We also wanted to kind of give a lot of information there as well for people to, you know, it's a little bit of a storytelling piece for people to learn about shochu as, as well. Mm, right. It's really uh, stands out in that, you know, your counter is beautiful. <laughs> Thank so. you so much. Right. And uh, so uh, you sell to the U.S. and uh, where can you buy can we buy Miz Shochu in New York and uh, other cities? Maybe um, if you want to go to a liquor store, there's, there's quite a few in, in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. um, two of the great stores that have a wonderful selection of Shochu in general. Uh, Landmark Wines and Spirits in Chelsea is a great one. Uh, Aster Wines and Spirits um, on Lafayette um, is also a great one in the East Village. They also have an online store as well where you could purchase these um, 
so there's there's quite a few stores. Uh, I, it's hard to kind of name them all, but um, <laughs> Ambassador Wines and Spirits. Uh, there's there's quite a few. I mean, um, if you visit our website, we have uh, some information on where you could purchase it, and then a lot of great bars, restaurants, uh, especially cocktail bars around the city, Japanese restaurants. Uh, we've definitely pushed the brand outside of just being something that's served at Izakaya's uh, and kind of expanding uh, mm-hmm. into all sorts of restaurants, French, Italian, uh, new American, wow. farm to table. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So oh, congratulations. It's amazing how much you achieved in terms of distribution too uh, in the city because it's such a competitive market. Yeah, it, it's definitely liquor business. Um, there's a lot going on. Uh, it's um, 12 months out of the year. There's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of things happening. A lot of different categories, different segments, different brands. Um, you know, but shochu is something that's on the rise, and people are learning more and more about it. It's definitely an upstart segment, and mm-hmm. something that we're seeing. You know, we're really seeing the growth here, um, especially coming whether it be from spirits lovers, uh, whether it be from bartenders. But uh, shochu is definitely kind of on the rise now. We're, mm-hmm. we're seeing that. Great. So, uh, what's your plan for the future? Well, we want to, you know, continue to build um, the Mizu Shochu, Mizu no Mai Shochu uh, brand. Um, you know, the lemongrass is is our new uh, is the new member of the family, um, but we hope to bring in other uh, flavors as well to the line. There's just so many different types of, of shochu out there that, in order to create and to kind of um, uh, introduce people to the world of shochu, mm-hmm. you can't just really go with one flavor. There's just so many different styles. So to kind of have a little bit of a wider variety for people to experience and taste and decide which ones they like better. You know, is mm-hmm. it a sweet potato shochu, a rice shochu, a barley shochu, you know, lemongrass, green tea, whatever it might be out there. Um, you know, we want to let people to experience and enjoy shochu, uh, right. traditional styles of shochu. Mm. Oh, well, good luck. Thank you so much. Right. So uh, thank you for joining us today, Jesse. Um, so if you'd like to know more about Jesse's shochu, please visit uh, mizushochu.com. That is uh, M-I-Z-U-S-H-O-C-H-U. It's uh, Mizu, M-I-Z-U, uh, shochu, S-H-O-C-H-U.com. And if you have any questions or comments about the show, please contact us at heritageradionetwork.org. And by the way, we recently, um, no, we have a, a, you can sign up for the newsletter for fun updates and events. So please go to our homepage. And Japan Needs is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritageradionetwork.org, iTunes, and Stitcher podcasts. And please go to iTunes and Stitcher and write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. And today's show was made possible uh, by uh, MCD Kitchen and Corinne. And the engineer is a PLP animate. And thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.